Good morning, everybody. My name is Claire O'Brien, and I serve as the Director of Communications here at CCV. Our reading this morning is from Galatians 5. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. The word of the Lord. So Christ Church Vienna began 10 years ago. We're celebrating our 10th anniversary. Uh, a week ago, I was um, reflecting on that, praying, just listening, reflecting, and I, I wrote down a prayer in that reflection, and, and my, my prayer actually, as I was writing the prayer in my journal that I use for other things as well, the prayer actually said this, Lord, I feel very unexcited about celebrating 10 years. <laughs> I felt flat unemotional about it. Like people are like, are you excited? It's your 10th anniversary as a church. 10 years ago you began. Look, you've got a church. It's great. And honestly, I, I was emotionally and, and still am fairly flat. Now that might be part of my wiring. I'm not, you know, I'm not an up and down. I'm pretty flat as a person. But some of me also reflected on it was just thinking like, I've accomplished what I wanted to accomplish. Why is that not more exciting? If you had asked me 10 and a half years ago, 11 years ago, if you had told me, hey, in 10 years, you will build a church that has done this, hired this many people, impacted this many people, has established itself in the community, has um, impacted students in Madison and elsewhere, has reached into the Latino community, has built inroads um, with the town, with other churches. We've had dozens and dozens and hundreds of people come through this church that have made it their church home, get connected into relationships with one another, grow in their faith. Kids grow up, come to faith, and then go off to college and come back and serve. All these things, the mission stuff we've done, the money we've given out, I would have been super excited 11 years ago, 10 years ago. So why is it that you get there, you arrive, and it's not that exciting? It's not that satisfying. And I think it's not just a church or, or my emotions or pandemic. I, I think in some ways, we probably can all relate to that. And I think part of the reason is this, something that I've realized in my own life is that we have such a desire, a need for significance, a desire to matter. And we often build that into the successes of life, career success, uh, academic achievements, anything else that we can achieve. And no career success, no degree awarded from the best colleges, no victory can satisfy the depth of our desire to matter, our hunger for significance. Getting there doesn't feel like much once you're there sometimes. And of course, some people would give kind of that, well, like, it's the journey that matters, right? Or... Uh, quit aiming for some sort of success, just be content where you are. But that's way easier said than done. Being content where you are is not an easy thing to hold on to. And part of it is because we're never 100% sure we've made it, that, that we matter. 
We're not sure that we matter at all sometimes, even if we've gotten all these things. And, you know, it's not just true in financial and career success and those sorts of things, because something else we look to to, to give us some sense of, of ballast is we look to love. We want to be loved. And so whether you're looking to romance or friendships or family, what, what I've found is this is most of us would say friends and family matter more or are more important than financial and career success. Now, our life choices might not actually measure up with that. If you actually looked at your life choices, like are you really emphasizing friends and family or career success? But we do think this, we, we want to be loved. And sure, family and friends matter a lot more. But our need for love is so great. The depth of our hunger to be loved to be accepted and approved of, is so great that no friend, no romance, no child, no spouse can bear the weight of our need for love. So in a very negative way, we're all trapped. We're all bound to our desire to matter, to mean something, to be significant, and our hunger for love, for acceptance and approval. And in the midst of that trapped discontentment, what do we do? We self-medicate or we try to escape. We binge, we scroll, we indulge. We give ourselves a little bit of license, like, I deserve this. Get off my back. <laughs> I don't think that you and I are as free as we think we are. And that's what Paul is talking about. The thesis statement of the whole book of Galatians that we've been looking at this fall is right here in verse 1. It's about freedom, true freedom. Paul says this is where you're going to find it. You could disagree with him, but he says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Commentators say this is, this is the thesis statement of the entire book of Galatians. And others would identify that this is the big idea of the entirety of redemptive history in a Christian understanding. This is what Jesus has come to do. Freedom, redemption, which basically means a slave who was paid to be set free or somebody who was in prison who was released from prison. That the entirety of the Christian story is about being set free. When Jesus began his ministry, the very first thing he did in his public ministry was go to his hometown, according to Luke chapter 4, and in his hometown, he, he stands up in the synagogue on the, on the Sabbath day and he reads from Isaiah 61. In Isaiah 61, it's a prophecy, and it's a prophecy that says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to captives, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, which in the Old Testament and Jewish understanding was the year of jubilee when all debts were canceled. Anyone who was imprisoned or enslaved was set free. Jesus says, today this has been fulfilled in your presence. I am the one who has come to set everyone free. And that's essentially what he goes about doing in the rest of the narratives. When he heals the paralytic, he sets him free. When he meets the woman at the well, he sets her free from the life that she has been living. Zacchaeus, who has built up this, this wealthy and hated life, is freed from his money love. The demon-possessed are set free. And then on the cross... True freedom is accomplished for all people. 
In Galatians 4 that we read two weeks ago, this is a summary of the Christian message in just a couple of verses. The summary of the gospel, which basically is the good news of who Jesus is and what he came to do, is this, or this is one of them. When the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem, that means set free, those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son to our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Jesus' whole purpose for his life, death, and resurrection was to set us free so that we would move from slavery to whatever we're enslaved to, to the freedom of being children children of God. Christ has set us free. That's what it says there in verse 1. The, the word has set us free is a, is a Greek verb that's in a tense called the aorist tense. Okay, so that basically means the past punctiliar, which doesn't necessarily help some of you, but that basically means this. It's something that happened and is done. It doesn't continue to happen. Like, the, the sun was shining is sort of a past continuous. But the rock fell, happened. It fell, it dropped, it was in the past. It's done. For freedom, Christ has set us free. It means it's already done. It's already been accomplished. When he was hanging on the cross, the last words that he declared were, it is finished. Nothing more needs to be done. You literally do not have to do anything else to be right with God. Anything you have ever done has been taken care of. In Romans 8.1, Paul puts it this way, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That doesn't mean you're not going to screw up and do horrible things. But in Christ, they've been paid for. That debt has been paid for. The sentence has already been lived out. Nothing else needs to be done. You are free, totally free. And there's assurance in what Paul is writing about here, that we cannot lose our freedom in Christ. But he's worried about two things. One, because you can live with a bondage mindset. You can be free, set free entirely, because your faith is in Christ, and yet live as if you're not a child, but live as if you're a slave. Or you can reject the freedom Christ offers altogether and try to live your own life. And that's what Paul was worried about here. We see what he goes on to say in the rest of verse 1 and into verse 4, when he says to the Galatians, "'Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery.'" Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. So for those of you who have not been with us, because I know that some of you are just here today to celebrate, we've been looking at Galatians, and Galatians is about this. The, the Galatians were Gentiles who became Christians. So they lived in Galatia, this area of Turkey now, modern-day Turkey, kind of rural areas up north. 
and they were Greek and Roman citizens. They were not Jewish people. They came to faith in Christ because of Paul when he went to preach the gospel to them. Later on, some Jewish Christians came from Jerusalem, and they said, oh, you guys became Christians under Paul. Well, you know what? Because you're not Jewish, you need to actually start doing Jewish things. You need to get circumcised. You need to eat certain foods and celebrate certain days. Follow these works of the law. And Paul says to them, if you accept that as necessary, if you say you have to start doing these morally kind of right things in order to be accepted by God, you're rejecting Christianity altogether. To put it in more modern terms, if you say you just need to believe in Christ but then follow these rules, you're negating the cross of Christ. You're finding your assurance of acceptance before God on the basis of your good record. And Paul is saying, being good, trying to be good as a way of being acceptable before God is the opposite of the good news of Jesus Christ. It basically negates grace and what Christ already accomplished on the cross. And I think the problem is many of us even if you're not religious, we're all rule followers. Not, not everyone. I know not everyone in here is a rule follower. But if you lived a pretty successful life, you're on some level a rule follower. It might not be religious rules you're following, but you're following some moral code in order to be acceptable, to know that you matter, to be loved. And Paul says, that is the opposite of what, I'm offer- what Jesus is offering in the gospel. But, you know, he also flips it to the other side of things. It's not just rule followers. It's rule breakers as well. In verse 1, it says, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, remember, he's talking to the Galatians, not to Jewish people who had the Old Testament laws and followed all of these rules. The Galatians were pagans, and, and many of them were essentially agnostic. By Jewish standards, they were morally totally free because they were Greco-Roman cultural people who did all sorts of things. They were pagan Greco-Roman people whose uh, sexual libertinism was way more than it is today. They, they basically, one of the ways they worshipped um, was you would go to the temple and you would have prostitutes, male and female prostitutes. That was how you went to church, essentially. If you were a man, you could have sex with whoever you wanted to. They would get drunk and that was not a problem. You had a rules of justice or understanding of justice that we think of today, or, which is you know, not just a natural thing, honestly, was not a part of their cultural system. If you had a child that you didn't want for whatever reason, the gender of the child, some other issue, you would take the child as a baby and put it out in the woods. The powerful preyed on the weak, and there was nothing that could be done about it. No one cared. So, when Paul says, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery, what's interesting is he's making a comparison with following all the rules and being very religious. The Galatians were not rule followers. They were not religious in the way the Jews understood it. So, Paul has said throughout this whole book, following all these rules like circumcision and certain foods you have to eat and certain days you have to celebrate, it's slavery. Don't go to that. But right here, he says, and so is doing whatever you want. Both religious moralism and secular relativism, to put it in modern terms, are forms of slavery. 
in chapter 4, verse 3, he talks about slavery before faith in Christ, and he tells the Galatians, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. And I talked about that two weeks ago. Elementary principles is basically the culture that you live in. We were enslaved to the assumptions of our cultural day. You Galatians had certain worldview, a certain way you thought about things that you just assumed is the way things are. When you're in low caste or high caste, whether you're a male or you're a female, the things you can do and can't do, and how you get acceptable in this world. And every culture has them. Every culture has a set of values and priorities. Every family unit has a set of values and priorities. There are things that you and I believe because we were born in the 21st century, or 20th century, 21st century, and we live in the West, by and large, there are things we just assume, as if those things have always been true. It's the accepted view of what is good, what matters, and how you will be happy. We take it as obvious. We try to live up to it to be acceptable. And what Paul is trying to tell the Galatians, and I think therefore us, is both conservative moral rule following and secular liberal relativism are forms of spiritual slavery. Following the rules, being good and successful, and rejecting the rules and doing whatever you want are enslaving. Because in both, you actually have to continually perform for someone or for something. You're always performing for someone or something. We all are whether that's your religious community, your peers, your parents, your wife, even for yourself. But when you're performing for someone else or even for yourself, you can never be sure you've done enough. You can never be sure you measure up or that you're loved or that you matter. You actually can't be 100% sure. There's a modern definition of freedom that might be something like this. Our kind of modern Western version of freedom is do whatever you want so long as it makes you happy and you're not harming anyone. So we define freedom in that way as being able to do whatever you want and whatever makes you happy as so long as you don't harm anyone. The problem is doing whatever we want often involves things that we don't realize are contradictory. We can't actually do whatever we want. We're not even free to do what we want because we have competing and contradictory desires. A man may want to have a loving family and sleep with whoever he wants to sleep with. Those may be actually real desires in him. They can't live together. Another person might want to live a good, long, healthy life and eat cheeseburgers, french fries, and milkshakes. Those desires can both be very real desires. We're not even free to do do what we desire. Or in a sense, our desires often conflict. And so what we do is we live under the tyranny of whatever we desire most. Whatever we must have. And it's not just Christianity that talks about this. Lots of other people can tell you this. Is that what you desire most what you are living for will be your master. Euripides, a playwright, a couple hundred years before Jesus, said, no one is truly free 
They are a slave to something, to wealth, to the law, to other people's opinions, essentially. More recently, Christian author Becky Pippert wrote, whatever controls us is actually our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by acceptance. We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord of our lives. And in one of the most profound kind of statements that I've ever read, novelist David Foster Wallace gave this address to the commencement, it was the commencement address to Kenyon College where he was a professor. And Wallace was at best an agnostic, but probably an atheist, but this is what he had to say. In the day-to-day trenches of life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God is that pretty much everything, anything else will, you worship will eat you alive. He goes on to say, if you worship money and things, then you will never feel like you have enough. Worship your body and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. On one level, we all know this stuff already. Worship power, you will end up feeling weak and afraid and you will need ever more power over others to numb your own, you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. But the insidious, the insidious thing about these forms of worship, he goes on to say, is not that they're evil or sinful. It's that they're, they're unconscious. They are default settings. And the world will not discourage you from operating on your default settings because our present culture has harnessed these forces in ways that have yielded extraordinary wealth and comfort and personal freedom. The freedom, that is, to be lords of our tiny skull-sized kingdoms, alone at the center of all creation. So what do you worship? What is truly Lord of your life? that really set you free. Paul says there's a freedom that can be had in Jesus Christ for anyone. And it's not in doing whatever you want or doing what everyone wants you to do. He goes on to say in verses 5 and 6, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So to put it to rest at the end, he says to the Galatians, look, whether you get circumcised or not doesn't count. That doesn't matter. What matters is faith working through love. Basically, he's saying both following all the rules, trying to live a good life, trying to be successful, and ignoring all the rules, doing whatever you want, Neither of them count towards finding meaning or love that truly satisfies. Neither of them enable you to establish a relationship with God. Neither of them give you true hope for the future. But the good news, the good news is no matter what we've chosen, 
every one of us, every one of us can come through Jesus. Tim Keller writes, Paul is saying, my good performance does not make me right with God, nor does my bad performance really make me any more lost and hopeless. All of us stand equally lost and yet equally able to be saved. And when you do enter into Christ, we have a different approach to ourselves in the future. It says we eagerly wait it, in verse 5, we eagerly wait the hope of righteousness. Hope in a biblical language, whether it's Greek or Hebrew, Old Testament, New Testament, has nothing to do with wishful thinking like we think about the word hope. And Paul specifically says we eagerly wait, not we anxiously worry about the future. He says we eagerly wait the certainty of what is going to come for us. And it's the difference between this. So um, I'm sure most of you guys already did this as well, but November 1st, November 1st, the day after Halloween, is the day when you start Christmas music, right? Now, look, I, I make my choices in that whole process, I know. And I, there's certain songs I don't play, okay, certain albums I don't play. There's others that are sort of, they're, it, November 1st, it's about time. If you guys have been to the mall, they, they are full on Christmas. And part of that is, from an early age as a kid, I loved Christmas, I loved anticipating Christmas. Now, how does a kid who loves Christmas, how does a kid wait for Christmas? Do they wait eagerly anticipating it because they know it's coming in 48 days? That is how many. Are they like, it's coming? Like Christmas is, they're, if they're 10, 11 years old, they know it's coming. They can count the days. They, they're anticipating. They're, you know, looking at different things. Or does a kid anxiously worry that it may or may not happen? Are they like, I mean, is December 20, is there, we had this Christmas thing last year. Is it coming this year? Do they, do they stay up at night worried that it won't happen? Are they mulling over the fear of it not happening? Or are they joyfully dreaming about it? Their daydreams are hopeful. Because they are confident. Eagerly waiting is what those who have put their trust in Christ do. They have a hope that is certain. And what matters is the faith in that working through love, energizing, empowering them to love God and one another. Eagerly waiting in hope and faith working through love, and we'll talk more about faith working through love next week, is not simply a decision. It's not about willpower, like, okay, I need to stop being so anxious and worried. I've, I've got to think better. I've got to love people better. Rather, it comes from a delighting in all that you and I have in Christ. Waiting eagerly is something we cultivate. Gospel freedom, gospel freedom that Paul is actually talking about here, Gospel freedom involves, instead of striving, straining, always trying to prove yourself, it's resting. Resting in Christ. Warming yourself by the fire of God's acceptance and love of you. Not trying to prove yourself, not trying to find yourself. It's being at complete peace. 
because you are loved and accepted and valued by the only one that truly matters. And it cannot be taken away. And I want all of you to know that. Ten years ago, we planted Christ Church Vienna. Twelve, thirteen years ago, I was dreaming about planting Christ Church Vienna. Why? I mean, why does somebody start a new church? Because they weren't going to get a job in another church? Because they want a lot of people to come and listen to them talk? They want to create their own little empire? It's a good job. Do you know why I started Christ Church Vienna? Because it is the single most effective way, starting new churches is the single most effective way to reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ. A week ago, I was listening to a podcast that has a whole other topic that it's about, but it had this one extraneous uh, podcast that was like kind of an appendix one. And the podcast essentially, in the end, this, this one episode was about this pastor this, uh, this pastor who had planted or been a part of planting hundreds of churches. And he never cared if he got credit for it. He wasn't trying to put his name on anything. And some of the churches he planted were a total mess, nightmares. But I remember I was in the kitchen preparing dinner, listening to this podcast, and tears were streaming down my face. Because as, the, as his widow was talking about him with this kind of joyful celebration of his life, it became obvious to me that that man just wanted people to know Jesus. That's what he lived for. He wanted them to know Jesus. And that's honestly what I live for. I want you to know Jesus, to know him as your Savior, to surrender to him as your Lord. And whether this church exists 10 years from now or 20 years from now, if I'm still around, wherever I am, that's what I'm going to be living for. It's for you to know Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. And so to experience God's love for you, to know that you matter, to be free. Let's pray. God, we all live with guilt and shame and fear. We want to be accepted and acceptable. We want to know we matter. We want to be loved. The good news that you gave us in Jesus is that we are in Christ. It's hard to believe that. It takes faith. But I pray even now that those of us who need to hear this again or for the first time, Whatever is happening inside of our heads, we would not put it to sleep. But that we might experience the life that is truly life, the freedom that you are offering, the hope that can be ours in your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen.